for starting Copy Hackers, I accidentally, honestly, accidentally quit my job at Intuit. I had a boss I didn't like. I had written the I can't stand you. I can't stand working here anymore. I'd written that email about 30 times and deleted it. And then one day I accidentally sent it (laughs) and I couldn't retrieve it. And so I had to leave. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Louder Than Words, where I have the great fortune to hang out with some of the most brilliant people in business, entrepreneurship, marketing, and all those great fields. My name is John Benini. I'm a copywriter, growth marketer at a great company called Litmus. Uh, you can check me out at johnbenini.co or you can check Litmus out and uh, the copy and blogs that I write there on everything from email copy to subject lines to everything great about email. Today, though, more importantly, I'm super pumped to be hanging out with Joanna Weeb, who is the creator of Copy Hackers, which is the home of conversion copywriting, a term that she coined. Not only does she produce some of the most informative ebooks and video courses on copywriting, most of which I've consumed myself, she also works with some of the biggest startups in writing, as she likes to say, non-skeezy copy that sells. So brands like Crazy Egg, Shopify, MetaLab, and Quicksprout, just to name a few. Joanna, super excited to have you on today. How's everything? Awesome. That was a nice intro. I'm like, ah, how do I measure up to that? Um, everything's good. How's everything with you? Everything everything is very good. And I know, so we haven't chatted in a while, and I know that you're a big Mad Men fan because I believe you wrote a blog post one time where you likened a lot of Mad Men lessons to copywriting. So how are you coping at the thought that there are going to be no more new episodes? Why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> Why do you have to do that? <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. I was really glad that John Hamm won the Yeah, Eddie. right? Finally. Oh, I know. How he never um, won it before is a complete travesty for that role. He, he, he was always brilliant in that role. I know, right? Like from the get-go. So it's like shocking to me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm coping. We got to get another Mad Men out there. That's all. It doesn't have to be the same era. It just has to be like, let's go deep and dark with advertising. It's such an interesting world. Yeah, and that was such a cool era too. I, and I think, yeah, I think Mad Men made it cool and sexy to be a copywriter again. I know. Except, except I don't think I could ever drink that much on the job like <laughs> they did. But they definitely made it cool to be a copywriter. I. No, it's crazy, and not just the, like before Mad Men. My sister had no idea what I did. Like <laughs> nothing. It was like Chandler Bing, right? Where everyone's like, what? It doesn't matter. Just stop talking. I don't know what you do. I don't get it. Um, and that was me totally. And I'm like, it is not hard. When you read a billboard that was written by a copywriter, when you read a website that was written, hopefully by a copywriter, right? Like it's not hard. But finally with Mad Men, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, the show can't go off the air. We need more and more of it because people need to know about the, you know, the secret behind almost all great marketing. 
Yeah, they, 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 they help pass the mom test in which they can, uh, we can tell our moms exactly what we do because yes. I think to this day still my mom probably doesn't know exactly what it is that I do. Um, no. Yeah, so yeah, it definitely made it cool, definitely made it um, more understandable, I guess, to outsiders. Um, but yeah, kudos to John Hamm for finally winning that and uh, what, a, what a great show. And I'm actually not even done with it yet. So. What? So you haven't watched no, it all? No, no spoilers. No, I actually didn't start like watching it religiously until uh, about a year ago, and so I'm still not on the last season yet. So hopefully, hopefully How it continues. <laughs> hopefully How? it continues on its on its course and isn't. Oh, it will. I okay. mean, there's always those moments when you're like, "Why are they spending time on this?" I really want them to spend time on that, um, but. They're allowed to because they're geniuses. But I find it so funny when I hear people who haven't watched a show or haven't finished watching a show that I'm like obsessed with. And I like so wish I could be in their shoes. Like right now, I wish I could be you. So <laughs> Mad Men would be new to me. It's crazy. Um, yeah. You have to watch them. They, they do not disappoint at I, all. I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Um, so yeah, let's... Let's get into, before we get into the copywriting and all that fun stuff, tell us a little bit about you and, and where you're from. Sure. Um, well, I, like you said, I'm the co-creator of Copy Hackers. Um, so I write copy and um, uh, where I'm from, well, I, you know, I live in Canada on Vancouver Island for anybody who's been out to Victoria, who's taken a cruise ship through here um, or stopped, hopefully stopped, um, this is where I call home, Victoria, BC, Canada. I've, um, yeah, um, before I was at Intuit, um, before I was at Copy Hackers there, spoiler alert, I was at <laughs> Intuit. Um, and I was there for five years as their senior copywriter working in their global division. Um, so for, you know, India and the UK and Canada and all of those fine places that are outside of the U.S., um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of my background agencies before that B2B Canadian agency. Um, and yeah. And so for the past four years, I've been at copy hackers doing stuff with it, trying not to mess it up too much and watching cool <laughs> stuff happen with it. Yeah. How did you, how did you initially get into writing and know that this is what I need to be doing? Yeah, well, I was always writing growing up. I didn't an English degree. Not that you need to do that in order to be a copywriter. In fact, you probably have to work against a lot of what you've learned about writing <laughs> in order to be a good copywriter. Um, but I knew I wanted to write all the time. It was, you know, when people were in university going out to the bars, I was at home working on a short story. Um, so I knew I wanted to write. Um, then came the realization after I was in English, after I finished my English degree, that uh, you actually have to pay off your student loans now. So what are you going to do? <laughs> so um, eventually, after living in Japan and strongly considering law school so much so that I went for one solid day, after that, I, um, I found my way into a job as a quote-unquote creative writer at an agency in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, and I 
liked it. I got to be very creative. I got to practice writing every day, different kind of writing, but I still got to practice it. And I think that's one of the most critical things. If you are a person who, you know, works with words or is creative or identifies as a writer, if you're not practicing, if you don't get that discipline of writing every day, it's just, it's much harder to start chipping away at, you know, a novel or something like that. So, um, so I did a couple years at that agency and then, yeah, moved on to Intuit. So I just kind of stumbled into it. I had a friend who was working at that agency. Um, I had just dropped out of law school and my father, I just died, which was why I dropped out of law school. So I had all this crap going on, like just the hard stuff going on. And my friend was working at an agency and she's like, well, we're looking for a writer. So I applied and did all those things to get the job and got it. Um, and that's, that's how I started doing it. And it just, it was rewarding. It was cool. And increasingly I thought, you know, I was working for actually for a lot of nonprofits at that agency doing a lot of writing and you could see how you could use words to bring in more volunteers, to get more people to donate, to do all those things to help, um, to do really good things. And of course, I don't think business is evil. It doesn't have to be evil. <laughs> so there was the good side of also helping small businesses grow and then increasingly connecting consumers and businesses to the solutions that they need um, by selling software and things like that online. That's how how I got. How did you eventually get to the point where you told yourself, you know, I want to do this myself. I want to do this on my own. And uh, (laughs) copy hackers too is such a great, it's such a great freaking name too. Cause you know, you have growth (laughs) hackers and, and it's, 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 you know, it's achieving growth and conversions through copy, right? Wow. So anyway, um, (laughs) how did you you get to this point where you were like, I want to, I want to go off on my own, you know, without hurting anybody's feelings. Uh, how did you get to this point where you wanted to go off and start your own agency, uh, to which you've had great success? Like what brought you to that point? Um, it reminds me of, have you ever seen that movie, A Christmas Story? Oh, absolutely. When the dad's like, when Ralphie comes in and he's blind and he's like, what brought you <laughs> to this lowly state? That's exactly what I heard when you said that. And he's, um, and he's saying, it was so, so poisoning. poisoning. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Love that was a great Love movie. Love it. Um, but that's what it reminded me of anyway, like what brought you to this lowly state? But it's not lowly. I know you're not saying that, but it's funny. Um. So, yeah, so I, you know, I I frankly 100% have fully stumbled into any sort of success I've ever had in life. I mean, I think that I've had some pretty strong pushes from the big man upstairs um, to to push me into different directions. So um, I would have gone through with law school if other things hadn't happened. Um, All sorts of things push me around and I'm a pretty good bouncing ball. I think that goes along the directions, um, that I have to be strongly pushed though. I'm not like a flighty person. I have to be really shoved there and then I go. Um, and that's really been how I landed here. Like I never would pretend that I had a great strategy or plan in place or that, you know, I knew I would be on this interview with you today at this time, right? Like these are all things that, um, I wake up really usually surprised at how I've, actually got to this point in life normally, right? Like I'm always amazed when people can look back and say, oh, I did these five things and that's how I got here. But for starting copy hackers, I accidentally, honestly, accidentally quit my job at Intuit. I had a boss I didn't like. I had written the 
I can't stand you. I can't stand working here anymore. I'd written that email about 30 times and deleted it. And then one day I accidentally sent it. (laughs) I couldn't (laughs) retrieve it. And so I had to leave, um, which was good because I'd been working on kind of getting to the point of copy hackers for about a year um, where I'd been doing some work with startups that were contributing to case studies that I was going to put in um, a big, massive ebook that I was writing to help startups write better copy. So I accidentally quit my job by sending this email that was just supposed to be a rant. Thank God I didn't say anything too too terrible in it about my boss. Um, and thank God I also was smart enough to time it in such a way that I got all of my RSUs that I was supposed to get out of Intuit. So that's a good thing. Yes. Um, so that all worked out, but yeah, I had to, I had to be pushed in this direction. And then, um, so then I left into it and I had about two months where I was like, I don't know, like, what should I do? Should I look for another job? Um, but I didn't really like entirely want to, I've always been pretty entrepreneurial, um, but entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur hasn't necessarily been that practical. So I have sort of failed to go. I had failed to go that route because, again, I had student loans to pay off. And how can you be an entrepreneur and pay your student loans off? Right. You can't. You have to go get a job at an agency. So you do. Um, and so but now I was at a place where I didn't have those sorts of worries. Um, I didn't have to rush into a job. I had a really solid nest egg to fall back on and just like figure things out with. And um, so I got some tech startup people that I knew to beta read my giant ebook that I had written. And they were like, this is way too big. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll cut it. So I turned it into four smaller ebooks. And then Lance and I, Lance is my partner in life and at um, Copy Hackers, he and I were talking through the name and I was like, well, like, what about like, copy for hackers, right? Because it's that's like the idea. And he was like, it's cool, but in kind of like that social network sort of way, he's like, but like drop the four, right? Just copy hackers, that kind of idea. And so we did, we, we were like, okay, let's pull out the four. And it became copy hackers. And we got somebody on um, 99designs to create ebook covers for us. And they chose the fonts and everything that has become the copy hackers uh, brand essentially outside of the name itself. Um, like the, the font, all of that stuff they picked, we liked it. And so we just went with it. And then we launched copy hackers, the eBooks on hacker news, which was a community we were already really, uh, kind of entrenched in and it took off their shot to the post shot to the top of hacker news, their homepage stayed there for about a day ish, which is a very long time. We sold about $20,000 worth of eBooks because we were selling them for like $11. So we sold a lot. Um, And it was like, okay, well, maybe this is something. And that's really where it started. And I think what first drew me to Copy Hackers was a blog post. And the thing that struck me the most was the, the level of personality that you brought to an otherwise stale, you know, industry. And like, I think... I don't know if it was like your subheader at the time or if it's still on the site somewhere, but I just remember seeing the term like, you know, write something, a copy and that converts like a mofo or something like that. And I was like, see, this is great because it's, she's human or or they're human, copy hackers that, you know, they're human. And I absolutely loved that about copy hackers. And you talk a lot about personality in, you know, a lot of your talks at conferences. Um, 
which for those listening, if you see Joanne at a conference, most definitely you have to catch her. Um, and when she was talking about shoving before, she meant metaphorically. So, you know, don't don't go pushing her around at a conference. <laughs> I'll fall. I'll fall really hard. It'll be embarrassing. Um, but you talk a lot about personality. And why is it so difficult that so many of these big business corporate companies have such a hard time or they're afraid of being different. They're afraid of being human. Um, you know, it's, it's I, I love the, the personality that you bring to, to copy hackers and that you obviously and evidently bring to your clients. So how can brands do more of that? Like why do, why do so many businesses have a personality problem? Yeah, I think that's, you know, a big question that needs a lot of people to help unpack it or answer it and then unpack the answer. Um, and, uh, you know, from what I have seen and I've worked with businesses that I've that you've mentioned and other ones that I don't mention that are big businesses because we ended up not going with the copy I recommended. I'm sure they'd be fine with me talking about it, but I just it doesn't end up turning into anything because the copy that I write um, just has more personality than they're comfortable with or personality that's that they perceive to be different from what their brand is. So there are a few things I think that get in the way of connecting with your audience in a real human non-corporate way. I think some businesses that are smaller are slightly insecure about being smaller and they think they have to put on a show of being, um, big and kind of hard to get close to as if that's a good thing somehow. Um, but so there's that, there's, there's the branding people. God love them. I've worked in branding. I didn't last very long in that department. It wasn't working for me. Um, but I've, I've been there and I understand what they're trying to do, but like legal teams, branding tends to get in the way of, change and of like connecting right of saying things that are a little bit different because like they're scared of being off brand you know quote unquote off brand even though the brand was usually created in a silo where people are sitting around in a room i know because i was part of creating brands and i know how it went about right you sit in a room with a designer and your creative director and you talk through what you think it should be like and sometimes you do you know customer interviews or you go out and you pay attention to like other things that have to do with the audience you're trying to attract. But in most cases, it's a group of people sitting around trying to choose the right color and font and a few ways to say things that's now going to sound like your brand voice. So it's stunning to me how little brand is tested. It's almost never tested. Copy is regularly tested, hopefully in best cases. Um, And so people are making decisions based on this idea that's pulled out of the air. So I could come to the table and I have come to the table and say, here is um, copy that's, it's going to read a little different from what you're used to seeing, but that's because we interviewed your customers and we swiped their language from them, right? We're not trying to sound like um, a corporation or like a certain sort of business. We're trying to sound like the people who are considering purchasing from you and who want to see themselves and a better version of themselves reflected on the page. So they have to hear themselves there, right? It has to be in a way, a mirror, just like a really flattering mirror. Um, That's what your copy has to effectively, in some cases, in most cases, um, 
be. And so when we go out there and we, we find language that's unfamiliar, unexpected, clearly different, it, it's hard for people who don't know about copy to accept it. So it's hard for the branding people. It's definitely hard for legal. And it's super hard for all those people who are sitting around a table, the C-levels, who have never in their lives written a single word of copy, not even one. <laughs> if they have, though, they believe it was the most brilliant line of copy ever written in the history of man. Um, so everybody believes they're a writer, and they can sit around a table and say, um, no, I don't like this. No, that doesn't sound right. No, why doesn't it sound like Apple? Let's just make it sound like Apple. And those are the forces that absolutely kill creativity. They kill the opportunity to even be different because, like you were saying, there's safety in sameness, right? You have to be the same as the people around the table. You have to sound a certain way. And if you sound different, that's risky. And that's a red flag. Let's not take too many risks. And so they don't, largely because in a lot of cases, they haven't tested either to see if using personality will actually help their business or not. So they say, well, in the absence of knowing, we'll just not try, we don't know if it's going to work. So let's just stick to the plain, simple stuff. We've seen that we convert at about 2% that way. We'll just stay at 2%. And when we have to get that conversion rate up, we'll send out an incentive in an email and that'll be that, right? And so that's how we get to this place where nobody is saying anything of interest and prospects don't know how to connect to brands. Yeah. And it's like the first, one of the first rules of, of branding or copywriting or conversions or growth in general is that the opinions in the room should mean shit, right? It's, it's only, it's, 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 it's what's outside the room. And you, you briefly hinted at this. You have these great ways that you, you, uh, detail a lot on your blog that you go about, as you say, stealing the language right. uh, of your audience. Like you go through Amazon and read reviews of books that they might be reading. I yes. think, I think you even mentioned like Quora and social, um, you know, social sites like that and, and searching for certain questions and, and just reading through the answers and the language people are using. Um, how effect, I mean, that's brilliant. How, how effective is that? Super effective. It's like the only way to do it now. Like I'm a total convert on this idea, which originally, I mean, I was always swiping messages from like surveys and customer interviews. Um, but, but the idea of stealing from people online, um, is one that I purely and openly stole from Jay Abraham, who mentioned it at the end of this conference Q&A thing. And it was like the briefest thing he said, oh, just go um, go on Amazon and look up a book for a topic similar to the thing that you're selling and look through the reviews and steal the messages from there. And I was like, what? I could try that. That sounds good. Um, and it's very useful for so many reasons, and we have tests to support it. Um, so... There are lots of cases where we're afraid to go do an interview because they're scary and you don't know if you're doing them right. And in you know the first 100 times you do them, you're probably not doing them right. Um, so you're like, oh, crap, I'm going to do it wrong. Why should I even bother? Which I don't blame you for. Um, but then there's also like, what if you have customers that won't respond well to surveys um, or that don't answer Honestly, and there are real cases where that's true. And as an example, um, rehab. So we were working. I don't know if you remember this, John. I'll mention it because it's a it's a really good example. Um, we we're working with a treatment center out of Florida called Florida called um, Beachway, 
And Beachway was one of, and is one of many rehabs in the United States. Um, so differentiation is a big deal and trying to get people to pay attention to you and choose you instead of clicking over to the next result um, is a big deal. So you have to separate yourself and distinguish yourself in some way. And as a copywriter, the best I can do is at least use your copy to help you do that. Your marketing team can help you figure out other ways to be different, but your copywriter really needs to work hard at supporting that goal. So, um, so I was rewriting the copy for Beachway's website, which got really good traffic, thankfully. Um, and I, we were we decided to test four. Well, we decided we didn't know how many split tests we would run or how many variations we would have in the split test story. But um, we knew we were going to test the homepage headline. Of course we are. Of course we are. Right. It's a very good thing to test because it's so critical. So we, um, so I was writing the copy for this and I couldn't interview people past attendees or past people who had been at, uh, Beachway because you go in one way and you come out very different. Hopefully God willing, in most cases you come out better than you went in. Um, and so the level of emotional honesty is really tough there, right? It's very hard to get an honest response out of someone that's not completely colored by um, emotion, by a desire to sound better, by a desire to kind of put the past behind you and not think too hard about the state you were in before you got there. Um, not that they're closing themselves off. Of course, they're learning all sorts of techniques and strategies to deal with it. Um, but nonetheless, you don't get the ability to talk to people. Unlike, you know, selling a sweater on J. Crew, if you were to call up a past J. Crew customer and say, hey, can we just talk to you about what you were going through when you bought that sweater? You'd probably get a pretty decent, you know, clear response. Um, it's not going to be the same with rehab. You can't, we couldn't even book anybody to get on the phone. Uh, we couldn't get anybody to respond to surveys. So it was just a huge challenge. We had to find the message somewhere, though. It certainly wasn't sitting around just waiting for it. Like, it wasn't inside my head. It wasn't inside anybody's head. It was out there with people. Um, so I went over to Amazon and I looked up six different books on, um, on dealing with addiction, on families overcoming alcoholism, on, you know, uh, 12 step programs, all of these things, six different books. It wasn't about the books. I didn't read the books. I was reading the reviews. Um, so I went through and I looked at the reviews for challenges people were having that led them to seek out treatment, um, how families were coping with their loved ones being in treatment or refusing treatment, all of the things that people discuss, the reason they read the book, the problems that they hoped the book would answer or solve for them. Um, they discuss those in book reviews, not all of them. It's not a, it's not like filled with all the copy you could ever hope for, but you'll find some really sticky messages in these reviews. And I certainly did. And one of the lines of copy that stood out to me, one of the reviews that turned into a line of copy was, um, if you think you need rehab, you do. And so I pulled that. I'm like, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's pretty interesting, right? Maybe we can work with that. And so I set it aside as something to con consider using. And then as I was looking at other treatment centers at their homepages in particular, um, they were all saying really nothing. So they had very jargony um, language. They were not, uh, it all felt really condescending, tr 
truly. Like it felt like I was being talked down to and um, overly sentimental as well. And so you had to wonder, well, are people coming here, both the loved ones of someone who's an addict or the addict themselves, they're probably not in a state. Let's just hypothesize that they are not in a state where they want to be talked down to. They don't want to be too sentimental. They have a problem that they would like solved sooner rather than later. If they're actually looking up rehab centers, they're probably a pretty good prospect to just like get them in the door already. All they really need is could you, does my insurance cover this with you? And if not, what do I do? So I was like, well, let's scrap, let's scrap all this sentimental stuff and let's just like get right into it. So we tested the control headline, which was just a generic, like, welcome to, it wasn't welcome to, that's obviously awful. It was something else. Um, And then a testimonial headline and a data point headline for like success rates. And Fourth was, if you think you need rehab, you do. And that one blew the others out of the water by like a 400% increase on clicks to the next page, as well as, which was shocking, um, some 20-something percent or something. I forget the percentages. It was like two years ago. Um, it's on my blog. It's on copyhackers.com if you want to look it up. Sorry about that. Um, but but yeah, so even signups, full completed, like, yes, contact me call me immediately. I want to attend your rehab center, essentially. Um, those went up dramatically too, all with statistical significance, right? So it was all confident. Um, so we stole that language. If you think you need rehab, you do. We took it directly from the voice of people outside of the boardroom, as it were. We've done this again for um, a UK a site that's all about like finding fashion for your body type called Drisipi. Um, we took their clothing, you'll, their control headline was clothing you'll love uh, for your shape and size or perfect for your shape and size or something like that, which is fine. Um, but we went out and we, we eavesdropped on their prospects. So on women who were over uh, 25, I believe uh, 25 to 40 who um, were uh, oh you know, had body issues usually having to do with weight. So we listened to how they talked about themselves and no big surprise, they weren't beating up on themselves. They talk about, you know, having big boobs and, you know, a thick waist um, and a big bum, stuff like that, right? But they were using real language that was just kind of absent on the Drisipi page. So we tested um, uh, a headline that went, I believe I'm getting this right, big bum, question mark, Thick waist, question mark, not so perky boobs, question mark, um, fine clothes you'll love, perfect for you, just the way you are, something like that, uh, with the just the way you are being like kind of like a Mr. Darcy sort of thing, uh, or at least Mark Darcy from Bridget Jones's Diary when he's like, oh, I like you just as you are, <laughs> which everybody loves. Um, so, but we use this real language and that brought in, I think it was 128% more people clicking the button, which is how we measure success of that headline. Um, and the button was also optimized as well. It was show me outfits I'll love. Um, so we optimized those two things using language we had swiped and we got 128% more people to click on that, which is incredible, right? And again, those didn't come from anybody sitting in a boardroom thinking right. through what language to use. It's all about empathy, right? You can't, empathy requires other people. Like You know, like you can't sit in a room and you would have never come up with if you think you need rehab, you do, or, you know, big bum, thick, what you probably wouldn't have thought of those things that, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a brilliant approach. And I think I, I love how you've sort of spotlighted these areas that 
so many marketers take for granted because I remember that article about Trisipi. Um, and I think a big part of that was you were testing button text against headlines to see yes. which converted better. And yeah. button text, I mean, now it's, it's, you know, thanks to people like you and, and like people start thinking about the text on buttons more. It's not just sign up or submit. Um, and so you've, spotlighted these areas that so many marketers have taken for granted button text swapping out this is my favorite one swapping your subheaders with your headers which i've been doing for so long because people always have these really ambiguous cutesy headlines and then their subheader is really the the meat and potatoes of what their service or their product is and you've talked about swapping those things and how that can lead to higher conversions um and i just love how you've sort of spotlighted these little things that so many marketers take for granted but um like what is it that may that makes you focus on these areas that i guess most people aren't? Is it, is it simply because most people are neglecting these areas? Or um, have you always just had a inclination or this, this, this eagle eye, I guess, for these really, you know, well optimized and g- uh, great opportunities for conversions? Well, thank you. Um, I think, you know, when it comes to things like the swapping headlines and subheads, which actually Ollie Gardner just talked about at CTA Conf a couple days ago. Um, I'm not sure when this airs, but it was in the middle of September. Oh, a week ago. It's Tuesday. It was a week ago. Wow. That's crazy. Time flies. Anyway, <laughs> he had just, he recently spoke about it. Um, and, uh, it's something that I've just noticed, right? Like the more you write copy, the more you notice the, the mistakes that people are making, especially when a reviewer comes along and says, oh, no, do it this way. And you're like, no, that's a mistake. You're doing it wrong. We can't do it that way. Um, but yeah, you just, you notice it, right? You go to a lot of websites and the more you pay attention to the copy, the more you're like, hmm, how come I didn't give a crap about that headline, but your subhead interested me. Why do you even have that headline there? What is it doing there? Um, And so, yeah, so move the subhead into the headline. The reason we don't is one, because we think an H1 has to be cute somehow. It can only be like three words long or something. There's that Um, Apple, that Apple influence you were talking about. Exactly. Right. Apple can get away with saying, uh, I can't even think of one of theirs right now, but they can get away with doing that. Of course they can. Of course they can. And it's always shocking to me when people, just as a side note, when people use Apple as an example, um, because so often Apple is still selling just as hard as the rest of us are when it gets down to it. They're working really hard to sell their products. So it's always funny to me when people are like, oh, it's so easy. Like, yeah, like most things that look easy, it took a lot <laughs> to make it look that easy. But anyway, um, like with pop-ups and things too, Apple uses those as well, which was also discussed at CTA Conf. It was a very good conference. Anyway, um, where were we? I got all distracted with Apple. <laughs> you were talking no. about the swapping the subheaders and, and headers. Oh, right. But then when it comes to like buttons, so buttons for me have always been um, – they, I think for a long time they were just a secondary sort of thought, largely because um, for so long I was working in templates and CMSs that actually wouldn't let me edit the buttons. So for like, you know, this, you know three plus years ago, um, a lot of CMSs or even WordPress themes 
wouldn't let you do anything easily to modify a button, which is like shocking today, right? Like I'm like, what are you talking about? It's the site of conversion. I can't convert online without clicking a button and usually a series of buttons. The button is the like whole, that's, that's the place where everybody actually ends up having to go. They can skip all sorts of other stuff on the page. They can never look at your video. They can glaze over your headline. They could pop all over looking up and down and up and down your page and paying attention to this and ignoring that. But if they want to do something, they have to click a button. It is the site of conversion. So we weren't doing very much with buttons because we were constrained, but increasingly you're not. And we were doing, we decided one summer to do what was called the summer of buttons at copy hackers, where we ran a whole bunch of tests on a whole bunch of sites that raised their hands and said, yes, we'll participate in this. You can test whatever you would like on our buttons. We were like, sweet, let's do that. So we did it. I think we, Oh, I don't know, 10 different sites. We tested 12 lots. Um, (laughs) We ran these button tests on pricing pages, on home pages, on lead gen pages, on e-commerce, like product description pages, also all over the in cart, at the end of the cart, everywhere. Uh, we did a lot of tests um, of buttons and we were amazed because people really, they really talk a bad talk about buttons and oh, button tests are just like a ridiculous thing to do. And I think that that kind of rhetoric is limiting us because we keep telling people that it's a bad test to do when in fact it's a good test to do. So, but you end up not doing it, which is super problematic. So when we look at the Drasipi headline that I talked about before, I mentioned that we also changed the button and that's an important note. As you were saying, the headline alone, we knew the headline. So we, we, before we ran the headline plus button test, we just ran the headline against the control. So our big bum headline went against the control and it trended well in the testing platform that we were using. I think it was optimizely. It trended, but that doesn't mean anything. We can't do anything with that. It's not scientific. There's nothing to it that says, you know, this is the winner. It wasn't meeting our thresholds. It wasn't doing the things it had to do. So we could never call it a winner. It alone didn't impact didn't lead to that 127.9 or whatever percent lift that we got there. Once we ran a new variation that had that second headline, the optimized headline plus an optimized button, which went from sign up now to uh, show me outfits I'll love. That's when we got with, I believe it was hundred percent confidence. And this just, we just kept running it just to like be sure. So I think it ended up running for two months. Um, and it stayed consistently. It was the clear, undeniable winner um, is that headline plus the button. So we're like, we keep seeing the summer of buttons showed us just how much, how important buttons can be. And, um, and that test certainly did. And every time I do a headline test now, I also do variation where there's a headline and button change where they're both working together because the headline alone just isn't enough. That button is critical. And the problem is that, you know, when we look back at the great copywriters and marketers throughout time and what they're telling us, they're all pointing to the headline, work on your headline, work on your headline. It's all about the headline, 80% or $4 of every $5 or whatever the quote is. I'm forgetting it now. Um, once you've spent X number, you've really, long story short, what they're saying, what Ogilvy said especially was saying was that the headline is the most important thing. But 
those marketers existed in a time before there were buttons to click. There was no way to talk about how you should optimize your button because it didn't exist. There were closes, there were calls to action, but that's not the same thing as an actual physical button. So we need to look at things that are new and still keep Ogilvy in mind and headlines in mind, but not act like the button isn't at least as important as the headline because it is. That's a long rambling response to the story. <laughs> I get very passionate about buttons. Oh, for sure though. Like if, if David Ogilvy had the ability in his advertisements, whether it was in the New York Times or wherever, for a potential customer to click something in the ad and purchase like he yeah. would have written a completely different book about totally. uh, you know headlines are important but that you know essentially point of purchase spot would have definitely been his you know his most optimal spot for creating great copy so um I, yeah and that article on Drasippi with the buttons and I used to when I was at an agency I used to show that to the other marketers and be like guys this do not take the buttons for granted look at this huh. look, like look at this and um hey. it's it's yeah i mean let let's get rid of uh you know this this crappy submit text and <laughs> and all of this stuff um so yeah, um, I actually want to wrap up with a couple lighthearted questions. Okay. Um, the first being, who I guess who would you say is somebody that has taught you more than anyone else professionally? Um, you know about copywriting and, and, and entrepreneurship and all that. Um, I have to point to Brian Clark definitely. Um, before I even knew what it was to be a copywriter, I was reading Copy Blogger. Um, and that was really the start of my education. I'm fully self-taught. I learned everything the hard way. Um, and so the only thing that really grounded my education as a copywriter uh, was reading copy bloggers. I would say Brian Clark, hands down. He's also a very giving, very nice person, which always surprises me because you think, you know, you build someone up in your head like, oh, Brian Clark. And then he's like, <laughs> actually just like, very, very nice. Yeah. So he's the one I've learned the most from, for sure. And grit, and and wow, what a what a group of writers they have too. Damien Farnworth. I know. And, uh, oh, geez. Um, the, Jared Morris. Yeah, and um, Pamela Wilson's just taken over as their, I think, chief editor. Um, so they've got a wicked team over there. Damien was just. We were on a panel together at a CTA conf. And he's just so smart. He said, I'm just going to mention it because it was, I was like, Damien, you're so smart. Um, he said we were doing a live teardown of a page that was for breast augmentation in Reno. And he kicked it off. He was talking. He was tearing down headlines and I was tearing down buttons on these pages. And he said brilliantly that all a breast augmentation surgery really is is expensive lipstick. And I was like... <laughs> Okay, microphone drop. You rock. Like, what are you doing? What was that? Because, like, seriously, it's actually like a mind blown, really honestly true experience for me. I was like, this is why you're so awesome. You're like, you know that. I didn't think of it that way. It's a really great way to think of it. It changes fully how you think about selling it. It was smart. He's, anyway, yeah, he, he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and so how do you, especially working essentially, you know, for your own business, what kinds of things do you do every day to ensure, you know, you're, you're most productive? That is a good question. I need an answer to that. I do not, if I have one big problem, it's like I said, I tend to 
follow good leads, like, or get pushed in directions and just like roll with it. Um, and that's, I have to get better at organizing my time because I don't do a good job of it. And I end up a slave to my inbox and, um, yeah. So I, I need to get better. I, I don't have a good process. I've heard from a lot of people what I should be doing <laughs> and I have yet to do any of it tragically. And lastly, do you have an iPhone, Android? Yes. What, what, I, what apps, because I think this says a lot about a person, what apps are on like your home screen? So that first screen, right when you, right when you unlock your phone. Huh? I'm not a very appy person. Hold on. I'm charging it. I'm just going to take a look. <laughs> okay. It's a hundred percent. Uh, one sec. I have an iPhone six, um, because I love that you can just use your thumb to get into it. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's great. So I have, um, or on the very first one, I don't have anything new cause I don't think it lets me add anything there. They're all on page two where I have a lot. I don't know what comes standard here. Let me do the thing where you can see what you can delete. Oh, <laughs> just a second. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I should be deleting these. I just don't because I've got Facebook on there. I never go on Facebook on my phone. Um, the big ones that I do have are air story, which is an app that I'm working on. It's for content creators. So I love it because it lets me send ideas straight to my air story writing project. So that's one that I use. I have my Kindle, uh, quick voice for voice memos, and uh, I have a test flight because I test my Air Story app using test flight Slack, but I don't use it. I'm fully like, I just use Slack in my web browser. And then I have Password Box, Skype, Twitter, and Hue, which is for my lighting in my living room. Oh, and th- those are cool. Those are very cool. Uh, they I've are actually- cool, except, except my partner Lance always puts it on like, um, on hues that make it look like we're running a drug lab or something in here. Like from the outside, I think our, our neighbors are like, can you not publicly grow weed in your living room? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably a market for that somewhere in the hue, in the hue product line. Yeah. So probably. I've actually never heard of air story. I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. Oh, cool. Thanks. It's still, yeah, it's brand new. It's just in private beta still. So, um, but we're really excited. We're seeing good results with it. Anyway, I'm not going to talk too long about that, but I'm excited about it. Awesome. Great. Um, well, that about does it. Joanna, you're so cool. awesome. This was so much fun. Yeah, uh, it was fun. Thanks, thanks, John. Thanks for coming out and hanging out for so long. And uh, uh, I'm sure people will take as much out of this as I did. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for enduring my stories. (laughs) And for everyone else listening, thank you for hanging out for a while. Um, If you like today's episode, you know, do all the standard things like share, comment, what all that, subscribe, uh, and be sure to check back next time because we will have more great guests. So long, everyone.